Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I got to start off this one just by making a quick request because I keep forgetting and it's to please go subscribe to this wherever you're listening to it right now and give it a five-star review and a written review that really helps bump it up to get into more people's ears and please share this episode or any other episodes that really resonate with you. That's such a great way to help support um, myself and the podcast and just all the time and effort that goes into this. It, honestly, it's probably the one project that takes the most of my time, which is kind of crazy considering how much time I create content on Instagram too. But the conversations I have on here are so enriching for me. You know, they're conversations that I'd be having anyways, and I have the honor of being able to hit record. And I've been really thinking a lot more recently about getting back into relationship with that feeling in our bones, you know, the feeling in our body that says, hell yes, or oh, hell no, or, or, or this isn't a great idea, or you shouldn't go out tonight, or hey, yes, do this. Or even, you know, we're so used to the context of being like, not hearing or not acknowledging a conversation that says don't do that or have that hard conversation. But we also negate and numb things that say jump for that. That passion is yours. That that's where your heart is. You know, and I think because we live in a culture where so many people are disconnected from that feeling, that intuition, that it's normalized to socialize other people to disconnect from it too. And from a survival perspective, that makes a lot of sense because if you acted upon the feelings you had, even in a state of an emergency sometimes or what was an unsafe circumstance, it might have not been safe to actually respond. And so we learn to shut off from that. And so there's a lot of compassion that has to be connected to the reason we might feel disconnected from our intuition that we might feel disconnected from our, our our voice within. And when someone else tells us that we can't trust feelings within ourselves, of course, we learn to not trust feelings within ourselves because in some way we adopt their belief about the lack of trust in our feelings. And so we think that that we aren't trustworthy either. Like, hey, you shouldn't be sad. You're not sad. Don't be too, don't, you know, wipe that grin off your face. You know, that kind of stuff. They all are ways of saying are dismissing an experience and then our experience, which might be authentic in that moment, then we kind of start to question it. And these can just be small ways that we begin to question and ignore, learn to ignore emotions and feelings, especially if we grew up in a family or a home or a culture or a religion or any of those things that lacked a lot of acceptance, that that didn't allow, that maybe wasn't safe, that there was uh, unsafe people around. There were alcoholics or reactive people, people with anger. And, and so we learn to ignore the feelings within our bodies that might code a red flag. And we hear people say, don't become an artist because you'll never make money or don't do this because it's not practical or why aren't you married yet? We hear all these things. And there are such invitations to step out of our own purpose, our own soul. There are other ways in which we learn to ignore the voice and make someone else the authority over our lives. And the journey back to becoming the authority over your life is to grieve when you haven't been, to grieve all the moments where you made someone else's opinion about you more important than yours, when you made someone else's thoughts about your future more important than yours. When you made someone else's thoughts about your grief and your pain more important than yours. And so let's just take a moment to breathe into that. All the times that we have prioritized and given authority to someone else. And the immense amount of freedom that comes from reclaiming that, from stepping into the power of that, that says, I get to choose how I feel today. And no, my feelings are valid. My feelings just are. There's no negotiation about how I feel. The feelings are information. And what we do with that then is a choice, right? But to recognize the innate brilliance that is in our emotional experience. And I say all of this because I've been really exploring that 
more so in the context of the totality of our lives. As I've said, you hear me talk a large majority of the time about romantic relationships, but human connection, which is connection to all things, which is connection to self, which is the broad area in which I am interested in, is so much more than just romantic relationships. It just happens to be a magnifying glass to the ways in which our connections are maybe not healthy or authentic, or we might have ways in which we communicate that are not constructive to the type of relationship we want to create. And so the evidence can be there. It's the content we focus on. I'm avoidant. I'm anxious. Uh, There was a betrayal. My relationship ended. I lost my job. We focus on the content. But below it all, below all the content, are patterns of behavior and choices. And you can find where we self-abandon in every avenue of our lives. It just happens to be where we self-abandon most. And so this exploration of the workplace has been really important to me. And I have a really good friend who consults for my company for Create the Love and helps me navigate building a beautiful culture and a family within my workplace, but also recognizing it is also a workplace and not a family. And I had to learn that, you know, I had to learn that sometimes people need me to lead from a more masculine space and not always be concerned about thoughts and feelings and all those things, which are important to take into consideration. But if those things alter a decision, then it can start to be leadership with codependency. And this woman has been just a fierce force. I love her. I met her years ago. And we became fast friends. And you've heard her brother on the podcast before. His name is Matt Corker. And this is Steph Corker. And I just love talking to her. I wish I could record all my conversations with her because she is all about living with an open heart and making our workplaces that type of place and and what we bring to our lives. And I think it's so important to recognize that line that there is no difference between work and life. There is just life. And then there's what we put in it. And we want to create every moment of our day to be one that enlivens us in some way. And if it doesn't enliven us, it informs us. And so I'm so grateful to be able to share today this episode with Steph Corker. So without further ado... Here she is. I've got Steph Corker here, who is not only an incredible friend, but also the founder of Corker Co., which is a human capital consulting business. And for the sake of not being able to describe it perfectly and exceptionally, what might that actually be for the people listening? They're like, human capital consulting, what? Yeah, what? Well, you asked me how I wanted to be introduced, and I said, can't I just be your friend? And you said, yeah, well, what else? So what else? Is, uh, <laughs> yeah, what else other than my friend do you do? So I started a human capital consulting business seven years ago, uh, around the same time you launched your business, which is wild and magical. And yeah. my goal was to help change both the conversation and relationships that we have with our work, with our bosses and our peers. And it was magical because the one place I couldn't tap into were relationships in the world of love. And that's what you covered. So I felt like between the two of us, you have love (laughs) and I have, you know, if it's not with your lover, your partner, the other relationships that make a really big difference in our lives are our bosses and who we work with and, and the work that we do. I'm really passionate about that, Mark. And I'm blessed to work with consultants and a really rad team in delivering, you know, Solutions, conversations, online and offline. And I have wow. a little puppy. Wait, your puppy. It's, it's actually your stepson is in the background. And I'm just going to apologize. If <laughs> sometimes he gets barky when he knows you're on the camera. Well, let's just be clear. My stepson, Bernie Doodle, uh, is due to, uh, I have put my name on a list. And I was like, I can't have this dog and Carl. Steph, want a dog? You're like, I'm actually in the market. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out so perfectly. He's such a cutie. Bernie. Bernie the Bernie Doodle. Yep. 
Well, I am a walking testimonial to your work because you do consulting work for Create the Love and mm. and help us navigate all things relational within the realm of uh, work. But, you know, that's to say that the relationships or the experience is just workplace is, I think, so limiting to it, you know, to say mm. like, because there are human experiences. There are the challenges we have at work. I mean, in your experience, like what made you like what was the gap or the area of the market that you were like, oh, this isn't really being done well, or there's more opportunity here. What was sort of the pain point that you're like, we need to do this? Yeah, this is like entrepreneurship 101. And here I am seven years in, and I still wake up and I ask myself the same questions. And Mm -hmm. um, the answer to the question isn't easy, yet it's very clear. There wasn't a pain point. There's 144 other recruiting companies alone in Vancouver you can go anywhere and find it. There wasn't a female leader that I wanted to follow that could set up my life in a way that I wanted. Mm. And what I mean by that was I wanted to chase some triathlon goals at the time. I wanted to be all of me. And my bosses would say, but you don't have that much vacation time. And if you're on the road, you're not really working. And I said, what would it be to be all of me and create a workplace where everyone can be all of them? And what if we could create something that people don't even know they need yet? What if we can Mm -hmm. create something that says you don't have to be bitter before you start something and you don't have to know it all? I mean, I don't know it all at all. (laughs) And, And you just go for it. So I say that not to be convoluted, but there wasn't a pain point. There was an opportunity that I wanted my life to be different. And I thought there might be some other people that would enjoy a different way of life as well. Well, I think you nailed that. I mean, seven years later, you know, we, I think in the realms of HR or in that area, would human capital, is that the sort of like term for HR? Well, it could be. I mean, I really don't identify, talk about labels, we can get there sometime, but I don't Mm -hmm. identify as an HR person. I identify as a human who cares deeply about meaningful businesses and purposeful businesses doing really important work in the world. And most businesses work with humans that need to work together. And we we call it HR and we're like, wait, we just need help having these conversations or hiring certain people, um, having tough conversations, getting developed. How do I get trained so I don't have to just leave the job? It's, you know, I would never dare totally compare it to a relation, a lover's relationship, but it's like, what if you don't have to leave your job? What if you don't have to leave your partner to evolve? Um, that doesn't always exist, and sometimes it does. The reason we identify the human capital business is we actually started in you know, fairly close time frame, if you will, with a venture capital firm. And so the venture capital firm was injecting money into businesses, and we were injecting humans into businesses. Oh, wow. And so it felt like a really appropriate term, you know, like we're here to bring the human capital to your rocket ship. And people are like, that's not clear. I don't get it. And I'm like, that's okay. You'll get it when you, <laughs> when you know us, you'll get it. And it just has really stuck that we're not another HR business. We're not another consultancy. We are really here to inject heartbeats into your business in a really meaningful and impactful way. And I'm super proud of the work that we do in that way. So I'd rather take five seconds or minutes to explain that to you than just be written off with a label that, you know, it's not we're not creamy peanut butter. I love I love the way you talk about things. I love that it came from that avenue, this idea that you're injecting heartbeats into businesses. You know, I I think historically it was never really about recognizing the human within the the employee. You know, recognizing the like even this idea of work life balance or this that there's some sort of separation that you stop being you when you walk in the workplace door or uh, the workplace version of you stays at work when you go home, uh, especially in the world that we're in today, where work and home, we're doing work from home uh, mm-hmm. more often than not. And so in some way, it, it seems like such a facade that we can delineate those two, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think we can, or the reality is we actually can't any longer. Um, yeah. Because work is home and home is work. And you know, it comes up all the time. How do you talk to your partner? And is it any different than how you talk to your boss? And how do you talk to your team? And is it, is it any different than how you talk to your children? 
I mean, we can't talk about how you talk to your dog because I'm learning that dogs are not humans and they need to be communicated with yeah. differently. <laughs> However, you know, the, some of the work that we did, I was super grateful that you were so open because we got to talk about how do you show up as a leader and how do you show up when making Thanksgiving dinner with your partner and her family? And mm-hmm. where were there similarities in that? And I also want to acknowledge that, you know, personal relationships, love relationships um, do deserve to be sacred. I don't think everyone needs to bring that to work all the time or, or there's certain elements of our life that can be, can be sacred. And I think we live in a world now where it's just expected that everyone talks about everything and knows everything. You know, everything should be on Instagram. I actually don't agree with that. I think relationships, you know, I have a dear friend who talks, um, whose who's partner is like, I don't want you talking about me. I don't want you talking about our sex life. I don't want you talking about our relationship. You go do you. And I really respect that boundary. However, I think that it's important for us to look in the mirror and say, am I only prioritizing work and not, not dating my, my person? Um, If I'm putting work things on the calendar, I'm, and not putting, you know, sweat time or love time. That's not like, that doesn't work. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of written off as this like frou-frou, you know, way of being, you know, oh, well, that's just for home or that's just for work. It's like, it's not frou-frou, it's your life. And I want the best version of you. And I demand, I want you to sweat before you come on Zoom in the morning or you're not your best self. So go do that. And I want you, you know, we have a challenge right now at the Corker Collective where we're drinking three liters of water a day. And the challenging part of that is we're on Zoom all day long. So you need to get off and I'm like, yes, you need to leave Zoom and pee because drinking three liters of water is better for you than simply sitting on Zoom. Mm-hmm. To think like the the workplace, I, we've talked about this previously about how in a workplace people weren't allowed to drink pop, you know? Mm. And I find like what you're saying, that there's this movement towards w- that you can achieve more wellness from your workplace or that the in like you're not allowed to drink pop at work uh to some people that might sound like some sort of weird restrictive rule but to the collective well-being that's incredible that would affect lots of outcomes and and this idea that making a decision like that is obviously a desire to contribute towards the well-being of the person even though they might not know that it's actually doing that or they might feel punished or restricted or whatever but the idea that our workplaces can actually promote well-being. I, I think so often when I look like historically and the messages were sent about work and I think about when I was trying to figure out what did I want to do with my life when you're in grade 12 and people are like, hey, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Can you decide that while you apply for a university? I remember looking at like, oh, well, what did people make? What jobs make what money? Mm-hmm. And I thought about like, I went and worked, I did like shadow with a accounting firm. And I remember thinking, the guy was telling me how much work you had to do and how long you had to work. And I was like tapped out as soon as he mm-hmm. gave me the answer. It, but there was sort of like he was inferring to me that that uh, compromise or that like tons, hundreds of hours, thousands of hours was in some way... Um, valid, like for my worth, that it was like worth the destruction of self, the total dismantling of my personal life. And then now to come into this radical time, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, of like, if businesses moving forward in the future are not actually improving your well-being, are they sort of destined to die in some senses? I mean, Mm. big corporate animals, maybe it'll take longer, but is that, is there, is there any reality to my hopeful statement? Hmm. Well, I would take it a layer back and say, are we creating and developing leaders in the world who care enough about that? Mm-hmm. Because I think it starts with leadership that's willing to make a stand for those things. And what I'm learning um, now more than ever is that it's both accessible, so it's possible, and it's hard. And you, uh, most of the time, we see that as a fork in the road. We see it that it's possible and it's going to be hard. So you choose versus possible and hard can live together. And what do we need to do to foster and support and, and bring that to life? And I, and I think sadly, um, you know, you and I have talked about this at great length. It's easier to be a critic in the world right now. I actually have 
in the arena poem above my desk. And I just say, be marred, Steph, like be in the arena, be in the arena to create something that's worth criticizing because I don't want to be on the sidelines of life anymore. I don't want to be on the sidelines scared of being um, ridiculed because I'm going to screw up and I'm really good at screwing up. And the faster that we learn to recover from these things, the the more opportunities we have. So I, I really think it comes down to leadership, Mark, over over comp- uh, over employees. Because once you create those the leaders, employees have no choice. They're like, oh, I can't drink pop at this workplace. I guess it might be good for me, uh, or mm-hmm. people will be repelled. And you know, speaking of leaders, um, last year in the you know height of the pandemic, the CEO of Patagonia stepped down. And her name is Rose, and she was in California, and she had been there for a long, long time. And it was quite alarming. And she just said, you know, we've decided that it's it's time and the transition plan is now and I'm done. And um, a great article came out in February in the New York Times. Uh, she actually lives in BC now in our home. Well, where back back when you used to live in BC. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and she lives here and she um, wrote a great article. I'll send it to you to add in the show notes of if you don't exist to make people's lives and the world a better place, what are you doing? And I thought it was really well said. What a powerful question. And to know, like, are you even living in a way where you're doing that for yourself? Absolutely. You know? Cause I, I like that you, I love that you brought it back to leadership. Like if you're a leader who is embodied and recognizes the values of the lifestyle changes you've made, the mm-hmm. healing you've done, the nutrition you consume, the sort of balance of work and play and whatever, or maybe work is play, that all of those things have occurred, then it is imperative to you that the people who work within your culture and your company experience the same um, healing benefits or just the same uh, opportunity, the same experience. And I mean, that to me seems though still like a really radical, like it's not radical to me because I live in it, but it's mm-hmm. radical to the corporate world. My old, the old company that I worked for, I mean, they had well-being initiatives or, you know, they'd like everyone would sign up for like some course. And, you know, it's just like it felt like a checking of a box. It didn't mm-hmm. feel embodied. It didn't feel sincere. It felt, you know, I'm sure someone who decided to bring in said initiative, it came from an impassioned place. Mm-hmm. But the corporation the company itself, the feeling felt like it was like, yeah, 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 we'll do that thing because that looks good. Do you know what I mean? Yes. The world of looking good. Like why, you know, sugar is addictive. I'm addicted to sugar. If me eating sugar was as ridiculed as me smoking a cigarette, would it look differently? It's like, oh, no, no, it's, it's okay. You can, it's like, it's not actually okay. There's a time and a place and it does not serve me. And, you know, as you know, we've, you know, experimented with the food we put in this precious vessel. It can be poison. We need to honor that. And it is very radical to put yourself on the agenda. It's very radical to, to own your, your health and your well-being. And I wish it wasn't, um, you know, right. Mark, I wish we didn't, I wish we didn't have to have this conversation. And yet as entrepreneurs, I, I, I won't speak for you. I've been out of balance. I've been out of whack. I don't know how to shut Me? off. No, yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So it happens, and you know, I read a great article from McKinsey that spoke about just how lonely it is to be a CEO or a founder, uh, because that's what that's the cost of being at the top and of making decisions. And as much as we want to say it's not a hierarchy and all of these things, like we're calling shots, and that's the place you are. And and with that comes responsibility and it comes a radical opportunity to shape people's lives. And, you know, you said something I want to just go back and riff on. You and I have also spoken about this, and that is how we change and evolve. So whether, you know, our relationship with food or our relationship with, with our work, as you said, you know, you finish high school, you finish university, and you think, this is what I'm going to do. Well, we were in our 30s when we launched companies. And you know, we we think that it's okay to change jobs every six months or every six years, 
but we don't consider the same when it comes to relationships. We think we're meant to be with one person and we're looking for our soulmate. We're looking for this person that completes us. And I just wonder how we approach change in all areas of our lives. And when we do so with curiosity and with, um, you know, a, a developmental perspective um, versus baggage. And it's interesting because I'm talking, mm-hmm. you know, from a recruiting perspective, I'm talking to people that are changing their jobs. And you would think I'm like evoking affairs on people. You know, they have a, they have, they <laughs> right. have a job and I'm asking them if they want a new job. And what if their boss finds out? I'm like, yeah that's all going to happen. Like that's surreal. And uh, it, it's just an interesting process of where we accept change. This is my point. <laughs> where we accept change to be okay. It's okay if you want a new job. You know, that's what resignation is. But it's not okay to get divorced because you made a promise. Or what about I used to eat red meat and I, you know, <laughs> I used to eat animal and I went to New Zealand and I pet I, 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 I petted, is that a word? Yeah, it sounds like one. I had an experience with a herd of Merinos at the icebreaker farm, the original farm of Merinos that, that icebreaker made their, their wool from. And Barbie was this 12 year old Merino and I fed her milk from a bottle and I came home from New Zealand and said, I just can't eat animal again. Hmm. You change. I change. I have a new label called mostly pescatarian. Um, and I, I share this because I want change to become, it's not accepted, just like let us evolve together. Let us, let us be honest with what matters. And if we can be honest about what matters, then as a leader, you can stand for the right things. As employees, you can be up for changing. You know, you might have worked in oil and gas and you're like, I wouldn't work there anymore. Or maybe you would, and that's okay. You might have worked in pharmaceuticals. You might not want to work in pharmaceuticals anymore. Um, you might date someone who likes to stay up late. I can't stay up past 8.30. Like, it kills me. I just yeah. want to go to bed. You know, they're all part of this. That's the work I love. These are the conversations I love with you. Well, it makes me think of the evolution of, like, the workplace. You, the job you signed up for historically mm-hmm. was the job you died with generally. You know, yeah. like that's sort of how it was seen. And and you've spoken about this before. I love how you articulate like that we sort of learned how to, and I might be using different words, but I, I got the sense of like, we learned how to sort of disassociate to go to work. We learned how yeah. to um, shut parts of ourselves off. So we weren't emotional there. We weren't, essentially weren't fully human. Like you mm-hmm. weren't, all of you was not welcome there. Mm-hmm. Um, just like all of us is not welcome in a lot of places till mm-hmm. we realize that we have been saying, we've been agreeing to that being true, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. by me not bringing all of me, I'm now complicit, although for many reasons, I'm complicit now in the fact that it's not welcome there. Now, if I bring all of me there, I might lose my job. Sure, I might lose my relationship. Mm-hmm. I love the analogy of, why? Because this is certainly true. Now we are open like, hey, your job's not valuing you. Go get another job. You're not getting paid enough. Go see where you are being. Um, you feel like your worth is being recognized and you'll only recognize your worth by doing that, you know, like the very act of doing it. Um, interesting, though, because when you correlate it relationally, we are still quite we haven't evolved in that perspective of like of course your passions for work change of course you change of course now granted we're having like there's kids sometimes involved and and that doesn't change the fact though that people are changing you know i think like a lot of the times because we've observed chaos in separation and breakups and that brings chaos to the children it's like of course change is disruptive to anybody but change can be navigated with grace. It can be navigated well, creating a rudder or some certainty mm-hmm. to the transformation for the children, but for mm-hmm. yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. And I really love the way you're challenging that in that question because it's it's really true, you know, having, I mean, the birth of my work was from leaving a relationship and feeling like I was the odd one out. Like I was mm-hmm. the one who was like, hey, there's a truth here that no one wants to talk about. Mm. So I'm going to start a business that's based on talking about those truths. And Mm -hmm. I really appreciate what you said, because why are we open 
do it in some areas mm-hmm. and we shame and vilify it in others because mm-hmm. we certainly do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I, um, it's no secret. I was in business with my brother before he went off to have a beautiful baby. And he would always tell me that these were the conversations or this was the work we needed to be in because when someone else saw that it was possible, then they too could create that future. And being a gay man who has just had a child, um, you know, growing up, he didn't think that was possible. And he Mm -hmm. needed to start finding other gay men that could have children with their own DNA. And that was what was really important to him. And um, it didn't, you know, it's almost like the logistics of it didn't matter. He just needed to know it was possible. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I think of that often and it's scary and it's hard. It doesn't make it easy. It's, it's, you know, it's a big task to be brave enough to say, Hey, there's one conversation not being had. So I'm going to go and hang my shingle on this. I'm going to, you know, risk it all, risk it for the biscuit. I'm going for it. <laughs> and um, yeah. I, and I just think, is there any other way I'd like to spend my life? And the answer continues to be no. Um, so then I feel like I'm in, in the right work, in, in the right place, in the right relationship, not without big conversations, you know? Right. Essential to have big relationships, yeah. to have a big life, you have to be willing to have the big conversations. I mean, it doesn't, you know, I think a lot of us think we'll just fall into it or those who have it got lucky. Oh. I would say like, you know, it's people with great relationships didn't get lucky. They create them. They are, they, they, be, they become embodied in a way that all that can sit in their resonance in their company is mm. the willingness to show up in a similar way. Mm. And that's what fierce boundaries do. You know, mm-hmm. you talked about boundaries before. And so I'm curious, like with, because of course, all of us have been sort of observed messages about work and you know, been indoctrinated or, or, um, brought in, we might, you know, we might've chosen to do accounting and now hate accounting. We might've, we might find ourselves in work or in a place and, or in a place where we'd like to give birth to something where we have a feeling like my workplace feels toxic or my boss is this, this, and this. I'm curious, like, what are the steps that one can take? Cause I think a lot of the times people who are in situations with toxic bosses, it's often sort of a, a continuous experience of what they learn to tolerate anyways as children. Mm. So it just becomes a continued sort of match to that experience. Not to say that you can have had a healthy childhood and end up with a toxic boss. I'm not saying that. But at some point we sort of, um, at some point we learn to resign from ourselves in order to stay mm. in that situation. So we're like, what's wrong with me that this is occurring? So mm. I'm curious, like, what is your advice on, I mean, that was probably nine questions in one. Mm. So how do I, how do we get from where we're at to a place where we're experiencing the kind of work that you speak of? Yeah, I'm going to try to Rubik's Cube this one, like nine questions into one perfect face of the Rubik's Cube. Um, I'm honored to be on this podcast. I'm honored to be riffing with you because I really love podcasts. I love um, accessibility into conversations that I might not always have access to. And so I'm going to actually um, refer to a minimalist podcast that I that I listen to, and they. So first of all, it's never about your boss. So scratch that record, and it's only about you. And if you're putting up with a toxic boss, then quit. And if you're having problems um, with with someone, then the answer is like, who do I need to be for myself to make this situation different? And, and most of the time, in all relationships, it's about us. So just start there. And that's a beautiful thing. And probably the hardest relationship to manage is the one in the mirror, um, period. And rant. New thought is <laughs> from the Minimalist podcast. It says that, you know, wake up in the morning and do the thing to be the person you want to be first. So if you're a mm. closeted author and yet you go and you work customer service at a warehouse somewhere, wake up two hours earlier and write. You don't have to write your next book. You can write your next book. You can write love letters. You can write whatever you want. Just wake up and devote two hours or 20 minutes, depending on how much time you have, to becoming the person you want to become. When you do that, you're investing in yourself and everything else that you do that day might be obligation. It might be necessity. And slowly you get to try on, who do I want to become? Who do I really, really want to be? 
And does that fit with the other hours I'm spending in my days? And what if those 20 minutes in the morning could become two hours, could become four hours? How, how do I slowly evolve and make that shift? And I know I've listened to your podcast about your transition from work and it's what's the side hustle. And lots of people have opinions on mornings or evenings and when creativity spikes. I just love the mornings because I think 5 a.m. is no excuse o'clock. I mean, there are very <laughs> few things that get in the way at 5 a.m. And if you want to be an author, be an author. Don't blame your toxic boss if you're not writing a book. And if you want to be an athlete, then wake up in the morning and be an athlete. And then go to work and be an athlete. And, and what does, you know, athletic Mark do? Or what does author Mark do? And, and do that. And it's really hard for toxicity to penetrate such, I, I don't want to overuse this, but such positive and passionate walls and membranes. You know, people have criticized the corporate code that we're blindly positive or we're, um, you know, too positive. And the general manager at the corporate Co is, is Cecily Elmes. And I talk to her about this a lot and say, are we too positive? Like what's coming up? She's like, no, we process and we're responsible and we're responsible for the energy we bring into the room. We bring onto Zoom. We share in the, the internet world. And so this is my, you know, nine answers to nine questions that just says, what is the most responsible way for you to create the life on your terms? And, you know, I wanted to chase Ironman dreams and it took or cost me creating a company to do so. I spent, you know, a month living in different places to train. I didn't want to train in the snow. I wanted to go to sunshine. And that's, that's what it costs. That's what it took. And, and you know, now it's a, it's a much different world. There aren't races happening. Um, but I, I have a little group that I run with still. And, you know, sometimes, Mark, I'll go for a run that's really hard. And I just go really hard for one minute. And when I finish that run, I might do, you know, one minute hard several times over in the run. But I come home and I say, if I can run hard for one minute, what else can I do for one minute? And what if I did that now? And it's really inspiring. It's really amazing. I come home from runs. I always make sure my calendar's empty because I'm inevitably vibrating at a level that I mm. did not know I could be. And I just think if I can be brave, if I can write in the morning, what else can I write about? Who else can I write to? And I think that we're not in that conversation often enough. Yeah, it's, it's about the boss. It's like, leave your boss alone. You know what? They probably have childhood trauma, perhaps some stress at home, maybe a barking Bernie. What are all of the things that are like <laughs> causing your boss to be your boss? What would it look like if you had one minute of the toughest conversation? And you can even start it like that. That's what I think people need help with. It's like, Mark, this is a scary conversation and I need to be super brave. This is what's coming up for me. It's usually followed by an I statement. I don't like how these meetings feel. I don't like how you speak to me. Um, and my request is that we can find a different way. And who knows how they respond? Their response doesn't matter. It's like, am I brave enough to have these conversations? Yes, that's exactly it. Like the idea, like what happens if they don't like what I say? What happens if they don't? It's like, that's not on you. At no. least you showed up in the way that you were inviting us, you know, by saying like, who do you want to be? Who does enlivened life version of Mark? What is what? How do they show up in this moment? Do they have the conversation or do they not? Mm -hmm. And so simple to say, like, start your day as the best version of you, like the I, I, I guess the idealized or the 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 already actualized version yeah. of yourself. Like, you. So simple. It's like, I noticed that if I commit, if I say I'm going to work out in the afternoon, I'll sometimes miss that workout. Mm. But if I do it before I do anything else, like, what did you say? 5 a.m. is no excuse o'clock. Yeah. I don't do 5 a.m., but a little after that. And I totally agree. It's like there's no one's texting you at that time because no one else is crazy enough to be up, especially at five. And only other people who are crushing the way that they want to start their day. And you know that meme that says, um, I don't know who the statement's from, but it's excellent. I think it might be from the Wall Street Journal. But it said, next time you say, I don't have time, try replacing it with, it's not a priority and see how it feels. Yeah. I remember reading that and being like, oh, God, that's good. 
Because yeah. how often do we say, I don't have time? Or mm-hmm. I also love your straight talk about the toxic boss. It's like, well, exactly like, it. And what like kills me is when we're in complaints about someone else, I'm just like, have you been totally responsible? And, and I get this. I mean, I've totally complained about bosses or partners or whatnot. And I'm like, have I sat down and told them that? Do they know like what I'm complaining to you about? And have I, have I made a request? Have I given them a chance to be different? And then if I've given them a chance to be different and been up for working on it too, like you can't be a jerk about it. You can't sit back and be like, they have, it's like, no, there's no room for that. But the fact that you slept in and you didn't do what was most important to feed your soul in the morning and you showed up to work half full is not your boss's problem. So if you come to work and you're full and you come to work and you've been radically honest and super responsible, then sometimes the most responsible thing to do is quit. And and we're good with all of the reasons and excuses. But the kicker is from one entrepreneur to another, if we learn this in 2020, it's like no job's actually guaranteed. So you can think, but no, I need a job. And it's like, and you can get fired tomorrow. So like, don't think that everything is, is safe and sound. Like it's not. So, so just know that. And then what? And that's the conversation I love being in. And it's not for everyone. You know, Mark, we are riddled. And like, I just think of like peanut butter on toast. We love smearing um, guilt and shame and judgment. Like, imagine you just created some space for love and acceptance. And it's not even fluffy. It's so honest. You know, you know, telling the truth, saying the hard thing, it takes a lot of courage. But it's freeing. Like once you do it then you know you are living to the values that you want to embody. Like you said, like maybe at some point then the decision is to leave. And you can ask yourself, what would the most actualized version of myself do in this moment? And immediately you'll hear because the actualized version of ourself is loud. We just drink to numb it. But it's like, leave. We should leave here. This is toxic. And you're like, I don't know what to do. Like, God, if only there was a meme or a podcast or a book that could give me the answer and your actualized self's like, I'm already telling you, why won't you listen? Just leave. I've told you this for years, you know? And yeah. and this idea that we, like, I do think that we're going to be in the birthplace uh, just based on the really high unemployment rate that I would imagine, unless something changes with lockdowns is going to continue to go up, which uh, I have a lot of opinions on that, but that's a whole other podcast, mm-hmm. is is we're going to see the birth of a lot of entrepreneurship. Mm. You know, we're going to, which is always what happens in, mm. in those downturns of market. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that there is ever, like if anyone's like, entrepreneurship looks really fun. And it's like, oh my God, it is personal growth on personal growth steroids for me, at least I find because there's so much vulnerability. It's like your work is now an extension on on a lot of levels of you. And so like in order to charge money for something, in order to, you have to inherently believe in your value Mm -hmm. or at least start to. That's how I felt. It was like, I'll charge this per hour to coach. And then it was like, my friend's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? You're charging that little? And I'm like, I'm just not sure, you know? Yeah. Well, I say that, I mean, I don't want to be an oxymoron, but I want to go back and say, quitting isn't always the option. And quitting is usually actually quite hard. You know, you've ever been in a race. You never want to quit the race because as soon as you quit, you know that you can do that again. So my personal philosophy has been do whatever uh-huh. you can to get across the line so that you don't give yourself the option of quitting. Now, I, I have a lot of opinions on quitting, and there's a time and a place for a lot of things in life. That being said, the idea of like, I hate my boss, I'm going to quit, feels like such a missed opportunity, because a new job isn't going to solve the same thing. So in the same way that childhood trauma comes up in our relationship, the same issues will come up when you go to find your next job that looks the same, and guess what? It's your boss's fault again. And that is why the Corker Collective is in the work that we're in. Um, Matt Corker created the Manager Start Line, which was in essence, how do you stay at your job or at least embrace, like, you know, get the tools so that when you go to your next job, it's not the same story. You know, whether you quit or you don't quit isn't what I'm here to talk about. It's that 
don't quit without having the tough conversation. Don't quit without doing the work. And don't quit and become an entrepreneur and think it's going to be easy because if Mark thinks he's self-development on steroids, I joke that it's the hardest way to pay your mortgage. I've never felt more responsible. Um, yeah. In many respects, it's, it's the hardest vocation I could have chosen without question. And I wouldn't do it any other way. Uh, but I also you know, would be honest and say, I mean, as a woman, it might be different. I don't think I could even, I mean, physically I can't, but I, I don't think I could have children. Like when people say this is like my firstborn, I'm like, there's a lot of me that is devoted to this business. And and I'm I'm not in complaint over that. I'm just like, it's certainly different than somebody paying me every Friday, whether or not I do work or not. That's not how it works. So I think go be an entrepreneur, create things in the world. The world needs people to create things. But don't quit your boss and think it's going to be easier somewhere else. That seems to be a lot of what we do is like not actually face the thing and go beyond, like go beyond the level, which I think can be very true relationally. I had John Kim on the podcast, who's the angry therapist on Instagram. He's incredible. And he was he has the term like swimming past the breakers. Mm-hmm. Like we think all relationships are like these honeymoon things. And when they're not we want to go find another one rather than recognize that sometimes you got to swim past the breakers. Yeah. Swim past the break maybe is the right term, but whatever. Yeah. In surfing, that's the right term. Yeah. And and then you get to these calmer waters and of course more waves come in. And that's true. I mean, from a workplace perspective, I think of like what I wanted to do at 18 was not derived from my heart. It was derived from what I was taught. And, I, and also what create the love look like when I started it at 30, whatever is different than what create the love looks like today and is different what it's than what it's going to look like in five years and two years mm-hmm. and 10, whatever. And mm-hmm. knowing like, do we give ourselves room to grow and change? You said that from the mm-hmm. beginning of mm-hmm. like, why are we open to that with some things, but not others? Mm-hmm. I, in workplaces though, it still does seem like there's a, like a resistance to uh, going to our edge. You know, there's something about that comfort and certainty of a paycheck or of uh, which, hey, there's, I I think that's actually very important depending on where you are in your life and what you need in that moment. But yeah, there certainly seems to be like a, like the comfort zone, you know, like in everything. It's like the comfort zone is like, I'm going to complain about the comfort zone, but it's comfortable. So mm-hmm. I'm going to just keep complaining but it's super cushy over here. Not that cushy. I'm going to complain about how not cushy it is, but I'm still here. Yeah. You know, I like um, the analogy of being a consumer versus a generator. And in the bucket of your life, in all aspects of your life, you know, you have one vessel and you get to consume energy, ideas, love, feelings, emotions, and you get to generate them. And sometimes where you consume them is different than where you generate them. And I want it to be known, you know, there's a time and a place for, for many different phases of our lives. And sometimes work is work. And it's, you know, I call those hard hat days. And it's just, you got to put your hard hat on. And that's what work is, because there's other things happening in other areas of your life that, that require more of you to um, generate. And so you go to work to consume. I just think in totality, it's important to look at the type of life that you want to create and to think about how can I, how can I generate, how can I raise the frequency in this situation, be it in this podcast, I'm with you for only one hour. And when I'm with you for one hour, I want this to be the juiciest hour that we could have together because I know how precious our time is. And what do I need to do to be able to show up for you like that? And there are places where, you know, there are many dog walks I've had with you where I, I just consume your energy, Mark. I, I'm just there to say I need your help, your advice. I, I'm a consumer. And so I think that we need to look at all of our relationships in our life and say, which version of me, the consumer or the generator, is showing up? And and be mindful that it's like debit and credit. You know, we can't, <laughs> you, you, you can't only show up. Important reminder. Person. It's very important. And that's when we become, you know, emotionally depleted or, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty beautiful thing to have karma in the bank. Um, give more and, and give more until you can't. And, and what I would say, especially during 
2020, you know, I've listened to so many audiobooks and like, you know, personal development for me has looked different than mostly in two years, be it audiobooks while I'm Nordic skiing or podcasts. And I just feel like I'm constantly tucking things into my heart and then I get to, to give them back in different ways. And what I want to say is they've never cost anything. They've cost my time. And so I think it's important that we release the notion that that everything is such an investment financially, but actually the most important uh, resource is, is our time. And it's just where, where are you willing to put that? So that's what, that's what really comes up for me. What a reminder, because how often do we put time into things that are about keeping our lives the same? Yeah. Right. About keeping our circumstances the same or our, our, our evolution stagnant, yeah. you know, yeah. like I think sometimes we fight a lot to stay still which is, and I don't mean stillness in the sense of like mindfulness or like Mm -hmm. silence. Mm -hmm. I mean, still in like cement shoes, you know? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I I think a lot of, you know, I I try to at least impart this message a lot in that like so much of the time we we see our circumstances and we say, or like the relationship we're in or the work, and we say, what's wrong with me that I'm feeling this way? as opposed to what's right with me that I have this response or this feeling. Cause mm-hmm. you know, like you and I both know from a relational perspective, often we're trying to figure out how to heal a trauma or a thing to make a relationship tolerable or a relationship mm-hmm. make sense as opposed to like, maybe it is my wisdom that's innate. That's actually saying I need to change something or do something. And, and i I, I know I speak to that from a personal relationship perspective, but I I want to bring it back to what you said about don't just leave the thing without consuming the thing, without like in, without accepting its fullest invitation to your growth and your brave your bravery. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we could riff on that for quite some time. And uh, oh gosh, I mean, I don't even know where to go from there other than stop rushing. You know, like what I hear is that we're in such a rush to get where? Die? Like, what's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, we're so busy and it's like, busy is a badge of honor and no time for real conversations, only time to complain. Have you ever noticed that? Like, people aren't short and finding time to complain. But what if, like, what if the same time was used energetically differently? And, you know, we're in a rough patch and we just want out of it. I said, comfortable at work. Get me out tough like this is stress and and what if we taught people how to manage that and and deal with that and have conversations and sometimes it's a lot of tough conversations what what's the rush where where are you going be be in this tough spot don't be in cement shoes don't be in cement shoes but there's no no time for that because cement is is rooted and only trees are meant to be rooted not you so so be in the movement of it but you know, we want to rush through it so fast that you get to the other side and you're like, whoa, those are some of the mm-hmm. best days of my life. You know, now what? And anyway, I just, I feel like we're in such a hurry to, to get to places and, you know, hurry fast. My, my favorite meditation teacher says, slow down, you'll get there faster. I think that's beautiful. Mm, I love that. And that presence to the actual process of the unfolding to like when challenge shows up in your life. It, there's beauty in it. If you if you like are willing to notice and pay attention, you'll see the, you know, if if you don't run from the feeling of discomfort, but rather stay for a second, hurry up. You'll what was it? Slow down. You'll get there faster. That's right. Slow down. You'll get there faster. Mm. And you know, I remind myself of that even when running, because you can go really hard. And this is the analogy: you go really hard and then blow up, and you're walking like a tortoise. Or you just pull it back a little bit and you can keep running quite well all the way to the end. And we get, you know, frazzled and caught up and, and we're actually paralyzed in that state. It's like we're a train wreck waiting to happen or we think we can go so hard. And then I joke that there are certain people, um, you know, from certain organizations that I'll speak to that I'm like, you need to go into rehab to recover from that workplace because the rest of the world doesn't operate that way. And so when you come back down, and sometimes it takes people three years, they're spending three years of their life not working, just recovering from working Mm. too hard. What? Stop. That's three precious years. Just 
slow down now. Be in, be in it. It's okay to feel stuck. It's okay. I mean, therapy, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Do you think that, you know, like given when people would say to you, oh, you can't, have a job and do the thing, right? You can't have a job and, you know, pursue your passions and your the fitness goals you had. And you were competing on, I mean, an international level for triathlon. So Ironman triathlon, not regular triathlon, like triathlon, like times it's nine. Tri- yeah, really long. One, which I would never do any of those things on their own, but to do all three together, impressive. And the reason I bring that up is, it seems to me as as though, like, if we go back hundreds, thousands of years, you know, people worked on the land for two, three hours a day, maybe four or five. And then they sat in community, in family, and ate food together. Mm-hmm. And their work was to be in in relationship to the land and to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting and sad that you know, having been part of it too, and, and still get captivated by it, that we seem to be so, uh, we seem to still to be running away from that very real truth that we know deep down, mm. like that we weren't meant to work 60, 70 hours a week, 80, 100, which don't get me wrong, there are circumstances that have created that. So I'm not shaming that mm. um, because we often need to do that to survive. Mm. Um and I, I just am so like, I guess I just go down this point of thought just to say, like, at what point do we start to remember that that's not what it's about? You know, like mm-hmm. you said, or what are we in a rush for to die? And it's like, that's ultimately what we'll get to. And I, I was reading about being reminded of Bronnie Ware's work on the five regrets of the dying. Mm-hmm. And one of the top five regrets of the dying is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And of course, right? Like I wish I had done things that uh, were important to me as opposed to other people. Mm. I wish I hadn't cared as much about what people thought, you know, and and it shows you like how important just like at the end of our lives, but we're in the middle of them and potentially at the end of them at every moment. It's like, what matters? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. It's not normalized that you can, that you can, um, work and find passion and find mm. play that there's space for all of it. Do you know what I mean? Just like we don't think there's space for all of us in mm. within our own bodies, within our own selves. Absolutely. And I'm reminded um, the corporate collective has eight core beliefs. You could call them core values. One of our core beliefs is, and is the future. And what that means is that I can be an athlete and a CEO. It means that Matt can be a consultant and a father. It means that, you know, think of all of the ands and there can be more than one and in the sentence. And I guess this comes back full circle is, I mean, slow down unless you love what you're doing. And what I care about is what have you done in the day that you're so excited about? You can't wait to tell your your partner, your dog, your journal at the end of the day. And Mm -hmm. some of my favorite people who I very much look up to. I, of course, don't know personally, (laughs) but I look and I'm like, you know what? She went to the Olympics and made a movie in the same year. You know, she wrote a book and ran a company. And and when I see that, I'm like, the and is always possible. I think the kicker in all of this is don't spend your days doing work that makes you feel busy and not excited. You know, the big moment for me was like, I don't want to die being someone who's just answered emails. And what do I want to create? You know, and this is where the creation versus, you know, or the consumer versus generator. And, you know, I'm trying to start a bike race this summer, Mark. I want to start a bike race in Whistler. It's a lot of hard work. I can't not think about it. I wake up Saturday morning and I'm pumped. And I'm not going to make any money off of this. This isn't a money generating avenue. You know what I really want? I want to make thousands of cookies and give them out to cyclists because that brings me immense amount of joy. And I want people to come and ride their bikes and have a really fun experience because I want to create a space for people to make memories. And it's tough, but I can't not talk to you about it. And so I want to have a partner that at the end of the day, I can sit and talk to about my work, about what I did at 5am, 
about what I can't stop thinking about because I want to create something new. And none of that depletes me. None of that makes me feel, you know, none of that is related to a toxic boss. This is all, we all have the time and space. And I think it's important that we all remember the, the and in this. It's like, you can, I, I just heard this amazing story of a woman who's 37 years old. She's had two children. She hasn't run since she was 18. So it's been nearly 20 years. And she's just posted the third fastest marathon time of any American runner ever. And, and, and she just came back to it. She works a full-time job. She has two children and she's now bidding for her Tokyo 2021 Olympic spot as a marathoner. But she's racing against people 10 years younger than her. Like that's, that's incredible. That's the definition of and. So when you sit and think like, I don't have time, it's like, well, you just don't want it bad enough. And that's going to suck to hear. Or something's depleting you so much that, that you don't wake up Saturday morning excited about creating something else. And mm. I think it's important that you recognize where you're getting inspiration from. You know, I'm a, I'm a chubby runner who gets a ton of inspiration from Ethiopians. They love and live to run. I think that's magic. I want to run like an Ethiopian. It doesn't matter what my body looks like. My body is strong. It hasn't failed me. I'm going to get up and run. And then I can come and run a business and, and have a dog and start a bike race and whatever, bake cookies. And my piece on baking cookies that I need to tell you <laughs> is that I, I dream about being a woman named Heidi. My name is Steph. I'll be Steph until I die. But Heidi is a Norwegian housewife and she knows how to stack wood and Nordic ski and she has blistered hands and she bakes cookies and she's going to make you soup. And she lives in a cabin probably like I do in the woods. And whenever I'm up against the moment of feeling like I'm just here to answer emails, I think, what would Heidi do? Or what would Heidi tell me? And Heidi is, you know, I'd like to say my 60 year old, but as I get older, it's like my 80 year old self. And Heidi's going to say, you worked hard when you had to work hard. And I mm. still want to be making cookies, just like I do now when I'm 80. And I want to do things every day now that make me feel like I'm growing into the Heidi I want to become. And this is just my long-winded answer to say, like, know thyself enough to know that if you love making cookies, find time to make cookies. And the importance of generating more than we consume and to recognize we all have childhood trauma and there's nothing wrong with it. So go to therapy and then don't blame your boss. That's it. On that note, I think we've solved it all. That's all I got, Marky. <laughs> oh, I appreciate you so much. I love the passion to which you do your work slash life with because it's all the same. You're just so, yeah, you give a shit. And you also don't color things that don't need to be colored. You know, mm -hmm. like you just, there's the truth. And, and sometimes the truth sucks, but it's mm -hmm. also freeing. We both know that the truth mm -hmm. shall set you free. And Every time. Um, I do need to give a shout out one to the fact that you work with my company and you've really contributed to and helped bring us be proactive in the creation of the culture. And mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for that because, you know, I might know how to do romantic relationship uh, reasonably well. I know the underpinnings of all of these things, the way to do it. Uh, but there's always more to know, more to grow. And there is, I love that you differentiated in our, the beginning of our work together that like work isn't family, like mm. it's different. And that was important, which doesn't mean you don't, can't treat each other like family or there can't be that level of love and appreciation for mm -hmm. one another, but there's also a boundary and that boundary is really important that it is different because that's what makes, as you said at the very beginning, that's what makes the romantic relationship sacred mm -hmm. and the workplace relationship sacred mm -hmm. is that they are not um, confounded or lost within one another. They are different and they require different versions of us. Thank you. I need to acknowledge you. Thank you. That means a lot. It's a gift to work with your people. It's a gift to work with a leader who cares like you do. And you've been super vulnerable and let me just really get into the heart of things with you and your team. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Only way to get better.
you know, only way to, uh, you know, improve our experience uh, as a company, but also it makes me better at what I do on the microphone or on Instagram. Um, And the second thing is that your newsletter is about the only newsletter that I actually read. And I need to shout that out because I think amongst today's world, I think that's a really unique, truthful thing. And like, if someone said, hey, you're going to really love a newsletter that's about workplaces. I'm like, it's about so much more than that. I love it. So everyone make sure you sign up for uh, Corker Co.'s newsletter. And where do people find more of Steph Corker and Corker Co.? You're awesome. I really, really appreciate that. We send out a monthly cork board. It feels appropriate coming from the Corker Co. And it is our monthly newsletter. And I, so I cherish I cherish the real estate in your inbox. I don't take it lightly. So I, it means a lot that you open it. And thecorkercollective.com. All things are there. And you can sign up for the newsletter and get updates. We're on Instagram at the Corker Co. sometimes. And my crazy life is on the gram at Steph underscore Corker too. Boom. We'll put all those links in the bio. Steph Corker, I love you. I appreciate you. And thank you for the gift of your time. And yeah, just so grateful. You're amazing. Thanks, Mark. 